Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. Uh, this is a pretty big week in a lot of people's lives. Uh, this week school is starting up uh, for a lot of uh, schools in the area, and so teachers and administrators are ready to go, right? Or at least they will be on Thursday or Friday when the kids show up, and parents are making last-minute runs to Target or wherever they need to go to get clothes or supplies to, to make sure their kids are ready for school, and kids are comparing uh, class schedules, and what do you have this class, and at what time, and what period, and everybody's trying to figure out everything that's going on. I even saw a lot of posts this week, people dropping off kids at college for the first time, so it's a pretty big week, and we're going to be focusing in on what, what going back to school means for all of us, even those of you where going back to school doesn't impact your life in any way anymore these seasons in your life. Uh, that movie uh, was called Coach Carter, came out 19 years ago. I can't believe, I'm pretty sure I've never shown a clip from Coach Carter. Anyway, uh, he takes over as the basketball coach at Richmond High School in California, and he changes the culture of the team. Uh, he gives hope and a future to some boys on that team who do not think they have a hope and a future. And one of the boys on the team is Timo Cruz, tough guy, but Coach Carter sees right through that rugged exterior. He sees a scared little boy. What's your deepest fear, Mr. Cruz? He asks him repeatedly throughout the course of the movie. What's your deepest fear? School starting back up, it's an exciting time in a lot of ways. It can also be a very scary time uh, for both uh, teachers and students and for parents for that matter. Lots of fears as you head back into school, and, and we're, we're pretty good at keeping them buried and underneath the surface, but it doesn't take much for them to sort of rise uh, to the surface. I mean, when is the last time you stood in front of a locker with a combination lock? You can just start to feel the fear rising. Well, what if I forget the combo, and do I go left first and then right, or is it right first and then left, and what if somebody shoves me into the locker and locks it? All kinds of fears. There's fears of being late. Uh, our, our church actually worshipped in a middle school gymnasium for about eight years, and I don't know how many times throughout the course of those eight years, while I'm in the middle of my sermon, the school bell would go off, and, and every time it would just kind of free, where am I supposed to go next, and do I have time to get to the restroom before wherever I'm going next? Uh, all kinds of fears that re as it relates to going back to school, especially if it's like your first time in a building or your first time at, at a, a new school. What do I do? How do I fit in? Where is everything? All kinds of fears. Um, I had an older brother, so he kind of paved the way for me, and he would tell me, here are the classes that you got to be careful of, and here are the teachers that are hard, and here's what you need to do to make it through. So every year when I would get to those classes, it's like, is this the year that it's going to finally be proven that I do not have what it takes to be successful in school? There's social fears as well. Am I going to make friends? Am I going to be all alone? Uh, will I fit in? What if I'm too different? What's your deepest fear? And maybe for you, it has nothing to do with school. Maybe your deepest fear is a health scare that you've received recently or, or someone uh, that you love has a health scare. Maybe it's a financial reality and you're not quite sure what's going to be on the other side of it. Maybe it's a, a relational fear. Something has happened in an important, a key relationship in your life. Uh, trust has been damaged. Your fear is, I don't know if we can rebuild trust. What's your deepest fear? Now, fear has been around as long as people have been around, and God has spoken into our fears uh, forever because his God has always been around. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God is speaking to uh, the people of Israel who are in kind of a scary place, a dark place, a hopeless place, uh, in exile. And God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. Here's part of what God says to them. Don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. What if we actually believed that was true? 
Like the deepest truth about our existence is that God knows us. God has called us by name. The, the God who created all things, the God who created the universe out to the farthest galaxy, unexplored galaxy, the God who created us down to the tiniest microscopic element, that God knows us, that God knit us together in our mother's womb, that God cares for us, is for us, is with us. Leonard Sweet, in a book called Soul Salsa, tells the story of a, a rite of passage that uh, a Native American tribe in the Pacific Northwest would have for boys when they turned 13 years old. Uh, on their 13th birthday, they would take the boy far out into the middle of a forest and just kind of drop them off there, and the boy would have to spend the night all by himself, alone in the dark, and then make his way back to the uh, tribe, and back to the village uh, after that. So imagine the, the boys up to this point in their life, they'd never really been alone, never had left the village, and they would blindfold them, take them this distance away, and then leave them there. Imagine how scary that would have been for most of those 13-year-old boys. Think about what every time you heard a twig snap, like what animal is out there that's about to get me? Anytime you hear an animal howl, how close are they? And the wind is blowing through the uh, branches and the leaves, and maybe it's kind of nice, but you're probably also wondering what other sounds, more sinister and scary sounds, is that sound masking? Eventually, after what seemed like an eternity, probably the new day would begin to dawn and light would start to break into where that boy was and he would look and see some flowers over here and maybe a path and this is the path back to the... And he looked over here and there was a man standing there with a bow and an arrow and it was the boy's father. He'd been there all night long. The boy just had not been able to see it because there was no light. Do not be afraid, God says. I have ransomed you. I have called you by name you are mine. And then here's what God says in the rest of Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Whenever we find ourselves in these places where we're facing some of our, our deepest fears, the word of God over and over is, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. I will be with you. And then Jesus shows up, and one of the names that Jesus takes is the name Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jesus is uh, departing, ascending back into heaven, he reminds people he's sending the Holy Spirit. I will never leave you. I'll never leave you orphaned or abandoned. I am with you always. How? through the power, the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes if you've been around church for a while, you understand this. this is, we know intellectually like this is how it's supposed to work. The Holy Spirit is with us. But what does it actually mean? How, how does it make a difference in my life when I'm going through the day-to-day -day realities and, and some of the hard uh, realities of life? How can the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit actually help me? And so the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome trying to help them understand the role of the Holy Spirit and, and what does it mean to know and trust and believe that the Holy Spirit is with us. And Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.31. Let's read this out loud together. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We just sang that part of the offering song. Let's say it together one more time. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? I was thinking since school is starting back up this week for, for a lot of people, maybe this would be a good uh, weekend for us to have a pop quiz. So don't worry, it's going to be pretty simple. Only one question, 
The question is going to be, and I'll make it multiple choice to make it even easier. The question is, it's an it's a English grammar pop quiz. What type of pronoun is Paul using in Romans 8.31? Is it A, first person singular pronoun, or is it B, first person plural pronoun? I will count to three, and then you can shout out the correct answer, which is B. Are you ready? <laughs> I told you it was easy. One, two, three. B. Paul is using first-person plural pronouns. Here's why this matters. Uh, we're starting a, a new message series this weekend. It's called Hope for Iowa. And throughout the course of this message series, we're going to be taking a look. What does it look like for us together as a church, together as a community of individuals? What does it look like for us to make a difference in this world? What does it look like for us, first person plural? Wherever we go, whatever arena we might find ourselves in, whether it's here at church or whether it's work or at school or in our neighborhood, in our family, what does it look like for us to be hope for the people around us, hope for Iowa? It has everything to do with understanding we're a part of a team. Coach Carter's trying to build this team for the Richmond Oilers. And Timo Cruz doesn't particularly like Coach Carter's coaching philosophy, so he, he storms out of practice one day, and then he realizes he wants to be back on the team. So he comes to Coach Carter, what do I need to do to get back on the team? And if you were paying attention, you see that Timo Cruz eventually ends up back on the team. There's this um, ridiculous amount of sprints and push-ups that he needs to do in a short amount of time. It's actually an impossible task that Coach Carter assigns him. Uh, Timo Cruz does not accomplish what Coach Carter says you have to do to get back on the team, and yet he ends up back on the team. How does that happen? Take a look. Play. Mr. Cruz. I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. Thanks, Clyde. Gentlemen, see you tomorrow. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles, and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do something. I'll run suicides, too. I do some too. Fine. Keep count. Call me when they're done. 
better together. If you stick around hope for very long at all, you'll hear us repeat that phrase a lot. We're better together. Part of what that means is that we always want to be moving from me to we. That we is always greater than me. That everything we do, we do as a part of a team of people trying to figure out what is God up to and where is God taking us together. Um, that language they were using in that scene is very biblical. right? We're, the church is the body of Christ. A whole bunch of isolated parts that work together for the sake of the cause of Christ. And if one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all celebrate together. And part of what that means is when we're figuring out what we do as a church, it's not about what my personal preference might be. It's not about what your personal preference might be. It's, Lord, show us. We're going to listen, pay attention. Where are you taking us? Who are you asking us to be? What are you asking us to do? And then we want to go wherever it is that God is taking us. We want to be whoever it is God is calling us to be. Now, the school year is starting up, and so are a lot of different programs in the life of this church. The last couple of weeks, you've heard us talking about the fall calendar. These are all kinds of opportunities for you to be growing in your faith and getting connected with other people. Uh, it, it, the bigger we get as a church, it's important that we also get smaller and have all kinds of opportunities for you to get connected and, and to be growing in your faith and, and in community. So check out that calendar uh, catalog and see how you might want to uh, be involved this fall. One of the things I'm really excited about as we head into this fall is what's going on in children and student ministry. Uh, Christy Schmall is our rock star children's ministry director. She's building a great team doing incredible ministry for the children here at, at Hope. If you don't know Christy, if you haven't got to be a part of uh, what she's about, she's just doing incredible things. And um, if you would like to be a part of that team that she's building, she would love to have you. Of course, we need people who love being with kids, but we also need people who don't really like kids at all. Uh, you can run the production equipment, the sound, that sort of thing. If, to be on the children's ministry team, it doesn't require that you actually be around kids, though a lot of the roles do require that. Christy's doing a great work and would love to talk to you about ways you can serve in children's ministry. Ashley Lentz and Amy Bozzard are our youth uh, student ministry uh, coordinators, and they've been working all summer long, gearing up for this fall. Lots of good things already in the works. And then they're going to be joined in a couple of weeks by Pete Smith. Uh, Pete grew up in Lamar's, and then he did student ministry in Colorado for about seven years. The last six or seven years, he's been in Pennsylvania as program director at a Lutheran Bible camp in Pennsylvania. He's coming on board in a couple of weeks. I was talking to him on the phone on uh, Friday. They're packing up and, and super excited to be joining staff here uh, with his wife and, and their little boy. And uh, he's going to be director, youth and family director, overseeing all of our staff in children's ministry and student ministry. And so I think I'm probably as excited as I've ever been about what is happening for our children and students as we move into uh, this new fall season, this new school year. One of the things that we want you to know about high schoolers in particular, we're going to be having student power hours uh, starting in about a month in the middle of September when all of your assignments start needing to be due and homework is overwhelming. On Tuesdays and on Wednesdays throughout the, the rest of the school year, we'll have a student power hour, two hours where you can come and we'll have places set up, tables set up where you can study. We'll have Cafe Hope open because who can study without caffeine or a sugar rush of a smoothie, something like that. And we'll have tutors available to help you in whatever courses you need. So if you'd like to help as a tutor or if you'd like to help as a barista making those uh, drinks for the kids, uh, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I think, is uh, the student power hour. Anyway, all kinds of things happening. And just a reminder, we're better together.
we're better together, which is an important phrase to say here when we're inside the walls of the church. I think it's even more important when we're outside the walls of this church. Uh, because peer pressure is a very real thing. And it, it's very easy to fall into this temptation to go with the flow, and we end up doing things and making decisions that are not the wisest or best or healthiest choices. But there's a positive side to peer pressure too, isn't there? If we understand we're part of a team, if we understand we're not in this alone, that, that wherever we are, there are other people, like-minded people, who want to make healthy and wise decisions, and we can support and encourage each other to go that path, the narrow road, what Jesus calls it, and that can be really helpful, and that's what starts to happen for the Richmond Oilers. Coach Carter's implementing this philosophy and a system, and the players on the team start to buy into the system. What does it mean to be a team? And they actually start to win. The year before Coach Carter started, they only won four games. Now they're on a 16-game winning streak. Things are going great, and, and especially on the court. But off the court, a little different story. One of the things Coach Carter does that's a, a little radical, he has the players sign a contract. And uh, according to the school board, you need to maintain a 2.0 grade point average to participate in extracurriculars. He says, we're going to make it 2.3. So everyone on the team has to have a 2.3 grade point average. They have to sign the contract that says, we're going to attend every class, and we will sit in the front row. And he asks the teachers to give him progress reports. Well, the progress reports come in, and it's not what he had hoped uh, it would be. And it's bad news for the players on the team. Take a look. What's up, crew? I don't know. Coach giving us a day off, I guess. Yeah, I don't even know where the library is even at. I bet you the library's at. Yeah, we know. We know. We know where the library's at. Yeah, yeah, the library's at. Just what he's talking about. What are talking about? I would have had to all been me. Yeah. No, Quiet. Quiet. Gentlemen, in this hand, I hold contracts signed by me and signed by you. In this hand, I hold academic progress reports prepared by your teachers. We have six players failing at least one class, eight players getting incompletes based on attendance. Gentlemen, you have failed to up. I'm sorry. We have failed. We have failed each other. Now, there are some of you who have upheld this contract, but know that we are a team. And until we all meet the terms of this contract, the gym will remain locked. Coach Carter has taken the lockout to the next level by canceling last night's game. Richmond forfeited the game, making it their first loss of the season. And for now, the lock remains on the gym. Here he comes. Here he comes now. Coach Carter. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank you for your patience. At this time, I'd like to introduce Coach Ken Carter. You may direct your questions to him. Mr. Carter, it is unfair to the players whose grades qualify them to play. Basketball is a team sport, sir. We support each other on and off the court. And you have Fremont this Saturday, the biggest game on your schedule. Now, Richmond is going to riot if you forfeit that game. Saturday is a long way off. See what happens. Thank you all for coming. That's all the time I have right now. I have to get back to work. It's been a long day. Reporters, media everywhere. Let's take this time to say whatever it is we want while the doors are closed. Well, let me tell you what I see. I see a system 
that's designed for you to fail. Now, I know you all like stats, so let me give you some. Richmond High only graduates 50% of its students. And of those that do graduate, only 6% go to college. Which tells me when I walk down these halls and I look in your classrooms, maybe only one student is going to go to college. In this county, 33% of black males between 18 and 24 get arrested. So look at the guy on your left. Now look at the guy on your right. One of you is going to get arrested. Growing up here in Richmond, you're 80% more likely to go to prison than college. Those are the numbers. Now I want you to go home and look at your lives tonight. Look at your parents' lives and ask yourself, do I want better? If the answer is yes, I'll see you here tomorrow. And I promise you, I will do everything in my power to get you to college and to a better life. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus says, and then he invites anyone to follow him into that kind of life. I mean, the language he has for that kind of life is eternal life with God through Jesus in the kingdom of God. That's the very best kind of life. Follow me into that kind of life, Jesus says. And he, it, when he builds the church and institutes the church, he's like, I want you to go out and wherever you go, everywhere, all people, everywhere, I want you to help make their life a better life. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Early on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, early on in his ministry, Jesus is talking about this idea and casting this vision for this better life, life in the kingdom of God. Here's how Matthew 5 begins. One day as he, Jesus, saw the crowds gathering. Now, I am not a theologian. I'm just a preacher. Theologians and Bible scholars are a lot smarter than I am, and, and I don't have the, the intellect to do what they do. But here's one of the things that I think maybe I have a talent for, and that is taking the really smart things that intellects and theologians are coming up with and figuring out how to communicate it in a way that makes sense to people like me. So uh, these theologians and Bible scholars will say this word crowd is really important. There's all kinds of uh, characters that we see showing up in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels. We get Jesus as the main character, and then uh, we've got the disciples and religious leaders and Pharisees, and there are people that show up, characters that show up that Jesus performs miracles for. Uh, there's women who show up in, in multiple kinds of ways, all kinds of characters in the Bible and in the Gospels, and you're like, you're right, Pastor Scott, you're not very smart. Of course, there are characters in a book. That's what makes it a book. Here's what the really smart people say. Uh, the crowd is one of the main characters in the gospel. It's not just a description of how many people are there. It's an actual character in this story that we need to pay attention to. Uh, so the Greek word that gets used primarily when describing a group of people or a crowd of people is the Greek word laos. When they take the Hebrew scriptures and they translate it all into Greek in, in a uh, version of the Bible called the Septuagint, over 2,000 times the word laos is used to describe a crowd or a group of people. But in the Gospels, they use a different word. 
More often than not, the word that gets used by the gospel writers to describe a crowd or a group of people is the Greek word aklos. Aklos. Let's all say that together. Aklos. And the theologians, the Bible scholars say aklos seems to be the Greek equivalent of a Hebrew phrase, am ha'eretz. Am ha'eretz, a phrase which means the people of the land. And every time am ha'eretz shows up in the Hebrew scriptures, it's referring to a very specific group of people. Lower class, poor, uneducated, ignorant as it relates to knowledge of the Jewish religious law. These are the people of the land, the am ha'eretz, and the Greek word for that is aklos. Now, here's why this matters. If Jesus is seeing the aklos gather on this hillside in uh, Galilee, and he's getting ready to preach what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it important for us to know who Jesus is talking to if we want to understand what he means by the things that he says? So he's talking to the aklos in in the Sermon on the Mount. These are people who would have been viewed as less than. People who would have thought they don't have anything to offer, they don't have anything to contribute because they had been told their whole life they don't have anything to offer, anything to contribute. They would have been ignored and overlooked and mistreated. Coach Carter says to his players in in that library, you're part of a system that's been designed for you to fail. The Oclos, the people who gather to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, were part of a system that had been designed for them to fail. A system that had designed to remove hope from their lives. Read with me this wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's on the screen. Read it out loud with me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. The people gathered to hear Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount did not have any hope. They were heart sick. They never would have spent much time in their life wondering I wonder if I want a better life than this. It never would have crossed their mind to think, is there more to life than this? Or if it had crossed their mind, it would have been a fleeting thought, quickly answered in the negative. No, there is not more to life than this. This is it. This is is what life has dealt me, and I just need to deal with it as best I can. Try to survive as best I can. And so Jesus shows up, and he begins to do something unexpected. He dares, he dares to give these hopeless people hope for a better life, life with God in in the kingdom of God. He begins to dare them to dream big dreams. Part of what Jesus says to the aklos, the people of the land, this crowd, he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, I think I've talked about this before. Our family, one of those, I think it's kind of a Midwestern thing. The meal that we eat on Sunday nights at our house is popcorn. And that's what it was when I was growing up. Same was true in my wife's family. Sunday night, we just eat popcorn. And so about 5 o'clock, we get out the stir crazy and the coconut oil, and we melt some butter. And it doesn't take very long before the smell of that starts to fill the entire house. And the kids come running into the kitchen. I want some popcorn. Because that's kind of the way it's supposed to be for the church. Wherever we go, whatever groups we are a part of, we're supposed to have sort of this pleasing aroma about us. Uh, that is attractive, that draws people in rather than turns people away. And yet, I don't, I don't think that's really the case. In, in a lot of places, it doesn't feel like good news when the Christians show up. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. He says this to this group of people uh, who, who would have been surprised, who would not have expected to hear this from Jesus. 
Now, our mission at Hope is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, salt actually has to come in contact with popcorn to make it taste better, right? To change the flavor of it. Buttered popcorn's great, but a little salt on it, even better. But it has to come in contact, has to touch it. Coach Carter says, what's your deepest fear? What's your deepest fear? In, in my experience, for way too many Christians, our deepest fear is the big bad world. And we need to do whatever we have to do to, to stay away from anyone or anything that's quote-unquote unchristian. So we're only going to listen to Christian music, and we're only going to read Christian books, and we're only going to watch Christian movies, which are largely pathetic. I'm sorry. Uh, they have good stories, but man, the acting's just... A th anyway, um, and, and could you give me a list of all the businesses in town that are run by Christians so I can only support Christian businesses? It's kind of hard to be the salt of the earth when you're shaping your life around living in a safe, comfortable Christian bubble. Part of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, wherever you go, whoever you are around, remember, you are the salt of the earth. Come in contact with them. Make a difference in their life. Change the flavor of those relationships because you're following Jesus, because you believe in Jesus. Again, the crowd would have been surprised by this, didn't, didn't know what to do with this. So Jesus repeats himself. He says the same thing, just in a different kind of way. You are the light of the world, he says. You're the light of the world. Now, on one hand, I get why it kind of feels good to stay in a nice, safe Christian bubble. Because there's a lot in this world that's dark and scary and a lot of things that kind of feel hopeless. I, I'm a fan of history. Um, I love reading about history and what happened in generations gone by. I know a lot of people don't really like history. One of the reasons I like history, I think it gives me a, a, a more honest perspective about the reality of my life in, in this generation. So if you think things are dark and scary and hopeless today, you just got to believe me that they were a whole lot worse in Jesus' day. For the people that he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount to, things were much darker and much scarier and much more hopeless. And yet Jesus says to them, they have no power, no influence, no prestige. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What, what might that mean for us? I, I look around this congregation, and this congregation is filled with all kinds of people of influence in, in leadership roles and all kinds of capacities for making a difference. The, the word that kind of God has given to me in, in the time that I've been at Hope is impact. Think of the impact that we can make as a church, and, and we're doing some of that, but I think we're only scratching the surface, the kind of impact and influence that God wants us to make in the heart of Iowa. What does it look like for us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? I don't know if you've noticed this or not. We've kind of been talking about this a lot over the last year. All last fall, as we were heading up to East, uh, Christmas Eve services at Wells Fargo Arena, the idea was shine your light, shine your light. Vacation Bible School uh, uh, about a month ago, shine your light. Doesn't matter how big your light is, how small your light is, whatever you do, don't hide your light. Don't put it under a bushel. No, don't let Satan snuff it out. No, shine your light. Let your little light shine. And so I wonder, what, what if you actually made a commitment to do that? this year as we get ready to start a new school year. For a lot of people, the year actually is its more like the year's beginning in August than it is in January. It's more about the school year than the calendar year. That might not be the case for, for some of you, 
What would it look like for you to make a commitment as you head into this new season, as you head into the fall? Coach Carter asks his players to sign a contract. So I've drawn up a contract. No, I haven't. We're not going to sign any contracts, but it might be a good idea for you to actually think about what would it be like in your life? What, what sorts of things would you be willing to commit to? What promises would you be willing to make to say, as I head into the start of this fall season, I'm going to commit to this, this, and this as a way of being salt and life in the communities that I'm a part of? What would it mean for you as, as in terms of your friendships, in terms of the students in your classroom or your colleagues, wherever it is that you work? What would it mean for you as parents when things are going on to your kids in your kid's life and it's somebody else's kids that's the problem? What does it look like for you to be salt and light in those tough situations? While you're thinking about that, I want to show you one more clip from this movie. Coach Carter uh, has the kids in the library. He's got the gym locked. We're trying to get the academics back to uh, the standard that we're trying to set for ourselves. And there's a bit of a revolt because they keep forfeiting game after game. And the parents are upset about this. And many of the fans in the district are upset about this. They hold an emergency school board session. And one of them makes a motion to fire Coach Carter. This is horrible. We only won four games last year, and now, anyway. Um, he stands up, and he's, he's saying, look, here's why we're doing what we're doing. And he explains himself, what we're trying to accomplish, and he says, if you make a decision to open the gym back up and let them practice and let them play, I think it's sending a message that academics don't really matter, and, and I can't be a part of that message. I'll have to quit. So they vote, and the school board votes to open the gym back up and let the boys play. And the next day, he shows up to school with a couple empty boxes, ready to clear out his office. And here's what happens. Take a look. Look, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye, but you've done such a great job with these boys. It seems wrong to look, just... no offense, ma'am, but all the work I did with those boys was negated when they ended the lockout. I don't think that's true. I the really... board sent the message loud and clear. Winning basketball games is more important than graduating from high school and going to college. I'm sorry. I just can't support that message. Sir, they can cut the chain off the door, but they can't make us play. We've decided we're going to finish what you started, sir. Yeah, so leave us be, coach. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. 
It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. Now, I've got a lot of friends who are uh, educators, and sometimes they roll their eyes when I play inspirational clips about teachers or coaches, and I, I get it, I get it. Uh, because it's the reality is day after day it's hard work uh, what you're doing and those inspirational moments are few and far between but we still need some inspiration don't we and our primary inspiration comes from God uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to inspire us and breathe new life into us so we want to inspire you now through prayer and we're going to pray for uh, some specific groups of people we got Eli our discipleship minister who will Pray for teachers and administrators and school staff. Ashley, one of our uh, student ministry staff workers, will pray for uh, students, kids and, and students, and I'll pray for parents. So, uh, Eli, your turn. Uh, so any teachers in the room, any coaches, any administrators, uh, people who work in the school system in any capacity, will you just stand up and we want to bless you before the school year starts this week. So teachers, coaches, uh, anybody who's on staff, um, we really feel called to bless you as, as we start the year. So, yeah. Stay standing while we pray for you, if you would. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, these men and women who uh, you have called specifically to impact the lives of, of the future generation. Um, we, we affirm, Lord, that, uh, that teaching, that leadership, that, that administration, uh, you call spiritual gifts in the scripture, and that's what they are. Um, more, than, more than a job, God, these are vocations that you have divinely called each one of them uh, to touch the hearts and the lives of children. So uh, we ask for the strength that can only come from you, God, the, the encouragement, the inspiration, um, and as the, as the year even wears on, Lord, uh, and those things become more and more difficult, I just pray that you would lift them up and give them the strength that, that only you can give. So thank you for the calling that you placed on their lives. Um, thank you for all of the, the teachers and the coaches who have impacted me. Uh, I just pray, God, for, for each one of these individuals, Lord, as the year starts, uh, that you would help them feel uh, inspired by, um, again, not just, uh, not just the job that they're doing, Lord, but the calling that you've placed on them uh, and, and the very real promise that you will be with them wherever they go, uh, that you will speak through them and work through them to impact the lives of the students in our community. And, uh, and I just pray, God, that you would give them your strength and power in Jesus' name. So teachers and administrators, you can have a seat. Any students who are in the room getting ready to start the year off at any age, please stand up. Uh, students, preschool, high school, college, graduate school, if you're a student coming up, Ashley's going to pray for you. All right, stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I lift up these students to you. I praise you for them, for their minds, for their hearts. I ask that you open their minds as they begin this new school year, that you would allow them to learn the things you have in store for them and um, cast out any anxiety that they have, Lord, of new teachers, new schedules, new friends, new places, all of the new that is in this season, Lord. I ask that you would wrap your arms, arms around them to give them calm hearts and calm minds as they go into this school year, God. I pray that um, you would let their light shine in their hallways and in their classrooms to their friends, that they could just be um, 
they could just show the world you through everything that they're doing in school. God, I pray that you would allow them to not conform to the pattern of this world, but that you would transform them and that they can just shine your light in all they do, Lord. I pray that you calm their nerves, you calm their souls, that they know that you are with them in everything they do and that you care about each and every detail of their life from the teachers they have to the friends they have, the tests, the quizzes, everything in between, God, that you um, help them know that you are in those, Lord, and that you um, are right there next to them, helping their light to shine, Lord. We pray all of these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Students, you can be seated, and parents, I'll ask you to stand. Before I start praying, just take a look around. I think sometimes we feel like we're all alone in this parenting thing. <laughs> You're not alone. You are surrounded by people who are just as clueless as you are. <laughs> and we're all in this together, and we're better together. Let's pray. Lord, you know the hopes and the dreams of the moms and dad, dads who are standing in this room. Uh, you know the fears and the challenges and uh, the concern and the worry. So help us cast our care on you. Help us to know and to trust and believe that you care for us and to actually believe that you love our kids even more than we do. And so help us to trust their lives to you. But you've given parents an important role to play and we ask that you would give us what we need uh, to play that role well. Mostly I ask, Lord, that you would give us the ability to listen, uh, to have empathy, uh, to challenge in healthy and godly ways and we ask that you would help us to remind our kids over and over how much uh, they are loved by us and by you we ask it all in jesus name amen